Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now, in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. We're cutting right to a news conference. As you know, many of you know, Tiger Woods had a severe accident in Los Angeles today, and so we want to go right to the press conference. Go ahead. Command staff. Also joining us here today is L.A. County Fire Chief Daryl Osby. Now I would like to introduce the Sheriff of Los Angeles County, Alex Villanueva. Thank you, Captain Mendoza. Today at 7.12 in the morning, Lomita Sheriff Station received a call of a solo vehicle collision in Harbor or Hawthorne Boulevard, north of Palos Verdes Drive. We arrived on scene at 7.18 a.m. and discovered a solo vehicle collision and the sole occupant was, again, uh, Tiger Woods and uh, deputies. At the time, they did not see any evidence of impairment, anything that uh, of concern. Obviously, the, the life-setting measures that had to be taken for the occupant of the vehicle, and uh, Chief Osby will speak to that regard. And it was a solo vehicle. Unfortunately, during the course of the investigation of this, there was another traffic collision that happened with people being looky-loose. And but that. Thankfully, there was no injuries associated with that. The vehicle traveled several hundred feet from the center uh, center divider at the intersection and rested on the on the west side of the road in the brush. Sustained major damage to the vehicle. You've seen all the images of that. And um, with that, our Lomita Sheriff Station will be conducting the traffic investigation, and it'll take from days to several weeks to get the whole thing together. Once the in the investigation is completed. We will provide a, a, a detailed uh, report. It'll be available, you know, based on Public Record Act request, and we will not discuss it any further after that point. But at this point, I want to introduce uh, Chief Darrell Osby, LA County Fire Department. Good afternoon. I'm Fire Chief Darrell Osby of the Los Angeles County Fire Department. At approximately 7.22 this morning, resources from Los Angeles County Fire Station 106 received a report of a solo vehicle accident at the intersection of Hawthorne Boulevard and Paulus Verdes Drive North in Rolling Hills Estates. Upon arrival of the scene of the incident with sheriffs unseen, uh, resources and personnel from the Los Angeles County Fire Department observed a single rollover vehicle incident with one person trapped. The person trapped uh, uh, was extricated by the Los Angeles County Fire Department personnel. Earlier, it was stated that the jaws of life was utilized to extricate the person trapped. It was later determined by our personnel that a hologan tube which is used for prying, and an axe was also used to pry the person free from the vehicle. The 
patient was packaged at the incident in stable condition with serious injuries. And because of the fact that they needed to be extricated, they were transported to Harbor UCLA Hospital. Because of the extrication, and Harbor Hospital is also a trauma center. As indicated earlier, there was also a second vehicle accident with no injuries. Thank you. And the vehicle involved is a 2021 Genesis. It's a mid-size SUV. Para Española, a las 7.12 de la mañana en la calle Hawthorne, uh, rumbo al norte, por la intersección de, de Palos Verdes Drive, hubo un accidente automovilístico de un solo vehículo, donde el vehículo volcó varias veces y cayó a las orillas del lado oeste de esa intersección. Y el ocupante era el golfista Tiger Woods. Y fue este extra, extra removido del vehículo. That is the LA County Sheriff uh, now obviously translating into Spanish. Very good. Now to uh, provide further information, they actually didn't provide that much information. I'm looking at the Associated Press. Tiger Woods was seriously injured today when his SUV rolled over and ended up on its side in suburban LA. That would be Lomita, California. He had to be pulled out through the windshield, and his agent said he was undergoing leg surgery. Woods was alone in the SUV when it crashed shortly before 7.15, as you heard this morning. Um, the cause of the wreck wasn't clear. They think it was speed. Although those are some mighty uh, tough turns and corners there. I'm not making excuses. I don't know what took place, but you can go 10, 12, 15 miles over the speed limit, and the next thing you know, you're rolling off the side of the hill, I suppose. The two-lane road curves through upscale suburbs, and the northbound side that Woods was driving on descends steeply enough that signs warn trucks to use lower gears. The speed limit is 45 miles per hour. Images showed the SUV on its side with its front end heavily damaged just off the side of a road near a hillside. An ambulance took the 45-year-old Woods to hospital. His manager, Mark Steinberg, said Tiger Woods was in a single-car accident this morning where he suffered multiple leg injuries. He's currently in surgery, and we thank you for your privacy and support. He was there for a weekend tournament hosting the Genesis Invitational at Riviera Country Club. Um, let's see if there's any other information. don't really have any other information available to us. Let's go back live to the, uh, is the press conference? No, the press conference is over. And, I thought um, they were continuing. That's the extent of that. Oh, there it is. There was no evidence of impairment, so subsequent to that, we're not going to make any, uh, there was no effort to draw um, blood, for example, at, at the hospital. Nothing was uh, removed from the scene or found at the scene? The, no evidence of impairment at this point in time. But I'll let uh, Chief Hosby. Chief Hosby, was Good morning. Tiger Woods conscious when you got there? Did he say anything to the paramedics who arrived? And can you tell us a little bit more, if we didn't use the jaws of life, how exactly did that extrication process take place? Okay. The information I got back from my personnel and the things that they do is they would do a scene assessment. It was brought to my attention that he was conscious. Now, exactly what was said is unknown, but he was conscious. 
um, our personnel make an assessment to make a determination of their level of consciousness, make sure that they're breathing, uh, control any uh, serious bleeding, and then control and address any serious injuries. It was brought to my attention that he had uh, serious leg injuries, and that was assessed at the incident. Um, the jaws of life are used as part of a package to extricate people that are trapped in vehicles. But it was later determined and brought to the attention that the jaws of life were not used to extricate Tiger Woods. We used a halogen tool, which is a tool used for prying, and we also used an axe uh, to pry him from the vehicle. He was taken from the vehicle with seat, uh, a collar and backboard for um, spinal precautions. Um, he was uh, had the proper splints because of the nature of the incident being a solar vehicle rollover and the fact that it required an extrication that met trauma center criteria. The nearest trauma center to the area is Harbor uh, UCLA Hospital where he was transported in serious but stable condition. Which leg? That I do not know. I, it was my understanding that he had uh, serious injuries to both legs. Chief, this was his decision to go to Harbor UCLA or you took him to the closest emergency room. Given his condition at the time, was it that severe? That's what you had to do? The, was the determination of where to be transported was made by the paramedics and the captain unseen. The reason that Tiger Woods was transported to Harbor uh, Harbor UCLA Hospital is because it's a trauma center criteria. Because of the nature of the incident, it was a solo roller vehicle and the damage to the vehicle, and then it also uh, required him to be extricated. That's one of the criteria that meets trauma center uh, criteria. Therefore, he was transported to the nearest trauma center, which is Harbor uh, UCLA Hospital. Steve, was he airlifted, and can you tell us if he had injuries anywhere other than his legs, and were any of those injuries it was my understanding he was not airlifted. Um, there were no other life, uh, life uh, endangering uh, injuries to my knowledge. Sheriff, in a way of a question, if you would. I know it's a little early. The investigators haven't done all their stuff on that, but any indication of the speed at the time that the vehicle lost control over the center of the island? All the reporters here have talked to David saying you're going down that hill, you take your foot off the brakes, you're at 50 plus before you know it. Well, at the time it made it cross the center divider to the point that it rested with several several hundred feet away. So obviously that indicates they were going at a relatively a greater uh, speed than the normal. However, because it is downhill, it slopes and it also the the curves. That area has a high frequency of of accidents. It's not uncommon. No, no skid marks, no braking. So apparently, the first contact was with the center median, and from there, then cross into the opposing lane of traffic, hit the curb, hit a tree, and there was several uh, rollovers during that process. That uh, they're going to have to figure that one out. Uh, that's why the traffic investors would make the, the big bucks that they make. Sheriff, what can you tell us about his condition now? Are you still in touch with Mr. Uh, we've reached out. We've been in touch with it, with his manager, and they don't want to release anything on his condition right now. We hear that he's out of surgery and perhaps been moved to his own room, Sheriff. All we know that a serious condition as a result of the accident, and that's about all they want to say. You looking at weather as a factor in this accident, Sheriff Vianueva? Weather is not a factor. Well, we arrived on scene at 718. They were notified within four minutes, and... Um, 
Uh, we got the call from the sheriff's department at approximately 7:22 this morning. Our resources arrived on scene at approximately 7:28. I don't have the information right now in relation to how long it took to extricate him from the vehicle. Do you have any indication there were drugs or medications involved? Why he was coming out? No. Who called it in? Did someone call 911? A bystander? And is there anything that was? All right. Now we're getting to uh, irrelevant questions from an irrelevant media. But I wanted you to hear most of it. He apparently has a serious damage to both of his legs. Uh, it's my understanding that this is a top-notch trauma hospital with some of the best surgeons really in the country in many respects. Uh, nobody else was injured in the accident. And the car did, uh, did leave the uh, ground, did leave the turn, and rolled at least once or twice. That must be frightening as hell. And um, that's all we know. He was not impaired. Um, but I've driven up in those hills. Those, are, those, are, those can be spooky hills. They're, they're tight corners and so forth. And, and it can be uh, somewhat frightening. So it's 45 miles an hour, they say. I mean, even if you go 50, 57 miles an hour, 52 miles an hour, you may not know what's around the curb if you're not familiar with driving in that area. Anyway, I'm not going to use this show to speculate, but I did want you to hear what we know. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part... We need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things, and it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. We're going to monitor the news, the wire services. If we learn anything new about Tiger Woods, you'll be the second to know after me. I promise you that. There's a couple of very, very important pieces of news out there today. And not from the usual media sources. From The Federalist has an outstanding piece. And Blaze has an outstanding piece. And I want to discuss them with you. There's a gentleman... I mean, let me uh, let me redo this just for a second, folks. Bear with me. J. Michael Waller. Does anybody know who J. Michael Waller is? Do you know who he is, Mr. Producer? He's a senior analyst for strategy at the Center for Security Policy. He's a serious person. Former professor at the Institute of World Politics, a graduate school in Washington. 
former instructor with the Naval Postgraduate School. He's an instructor lecturer at the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center <clears throat> Excuse me, at Fort Bragg. And I want to read something to you. It's going to take a little while, so get comfortable. I want to read something to you, but I think you're going to find it worthwhile. And I want to remind you, this is from January 14th, 2021. January 14th, 2021. It's gotten almost no attention. The deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol bore the markings of an organized operation planned well in advance of the January 6th joint session of Congress. A small number of cadre appeared to use the cover of a huge rally to stage its attack. Before it began, I saw from my vantage point on the west front of the Capitol what appeared to be four separate cells or units. I'm reading this to you just to show you what absolute lies have been perpetrated against the president and so many of his supporters. Number one, plainclothes militants, militant, aggressive men in Donald Trump and MAGA gear at a front police line at the base of the temporary presidential inaugural platform. Number two, agents, provocateurs, scattered groups of men exhorting the marchers to gather closely and tightly toward the center of the outside of the Capitol building and prevent them from leaving. Three, fake Trump protesters, a few young men wearing Trump or MAGA hats backwards and who did not fit in with the rest of the crowd in terms of their actions and demeanor, who might presume to be Antifa or other leftist agitators. And four, disciplined uniform column of attackers, a column of organized, disciplined men wearing similar but not identical camouflage uniforms and black gear, some with helmets and GoPro cameras or wearing subdued Punisher skull patches. All of these cells or groups stood out from the very large crowd by their behavior and and overall demeanor. They didn't all appear the same. Not until the very end did it appear there were a prearranged plan to storm the Capitol building and to manipulate the unsuspecting crowd as cover and as a follow-on force. This article is a first-person eyewitness account drafted the night of January 6th and morning of January 7th. So it's not affected by other news coverage or information. The only research aids I used were photos and videos that I took from my phone. I've witnessed and participated in scores of protests since the 70s, when as a high school student I was trained by professional agitators from California. Apart from my professional background and experience, nothing in this article is derived from any third-party information or analysis. Now, I want to continue this. I understand it's a few weeks old. But I went back and looked at it again, and I said I was remiss not to bring it up at the time. So I'm bringing it up now, and there's a reason for all this. So stick with me. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part... We need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things, and it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. 
Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. Levin, tough as hell. That's why I like Mark Levin. And I'm not sure a lot of people like him. He's tough as hell. But I like him. I love him. Call in now. 877-381-3811. Let's continue with this eyewitness on January 6th who wrote this really contemporaneously shortly thereafter. Originally, I had planned not to attend any of the several pro-Trump events scheduled for that day. The last minute, a companion and I decided to see what we could see. Late that morning, around 11.30, I walked from near Union Station to the Senate side of the Capitol Hill on 2nd and D Streets Northwest. I noticed a small number of Capitol Police dressed in full riot gear with shin guards and shoulder guards. One carried a black baton with side handle. That's old school, I called to the officer, giving him a thumbs up. The police appeared to be readying to board a van or bus, although the Capitol was only two and a half blocks away. Across behind the Russell Senate office building to Constitution Avenue, near the Capitol, passed some of the out-of-towners who pointed at the Capitol and asked if it was the White House, then walked for about 25 minutes up Pennsylvania Avenue toward an empty Freedom Park. A rally had just taken place there and moved to the eclipse, the large lawn between the White House and Constitution Avenue. President Trump was speaking to a huge crowd at the ellipse, although the Freedom Park rally had broken up to assemble at the Capitol before we arrived. Now, for such a massive event, police presence was light. District of Columbia police and small group of D.C. National Guard had relaxed demeanor, keeping a professional distance from marshers and other pedestrians, as they usually do. A few police and National Guard gathered around a mobile device to listen to the president make what sounded like rousing comments. A while later, we saw from a a block away that marches had begun down Constitution Avenue from the ellipse to Capitol Hill, mostly along Constitution Avenue. We passed down 13th Street to join them. Although the march was in protest of fraud in the 2020 election, and people were recounting the president's energizing speech, the mood of the crowd was positive and festive. Strangers stopped to talk to one another along the way, resisting but ultimately giving in to offers from street vendors hawking Trump and MAGA memorabilia or to taking pictures of the Washington landmarks. Some along the way talked enthusiastically about President Trump joining them on Capitol Hill, as if he had said something about it in the ellipse speech. I didn't want to pop their balloon by saying that he undoubtedly would not. There was an exception in the air that he would be there, an expectation, I should say. Of the thousands of people I passed or who passed me along Constitution Avenue, some were indignant and contemptuous of Congress, but not one appeared angry or incited to riot. Many of the marches were families with small children. Many were elderly, overweight, or just plain tired or frail, traits not typically attributed to riot-prone, by the way, and neither to an insurrection. Some said they were police officers from around the country. Many wore pro-police shirts or carried pro-police Back the blue flags. Among the hundreds and hundreds of flags, perhaps thousands, displayed over the next few hours, I saw only two Confederate battle flags and white supremacist sign, and one white supremacist sign, so that's three. Two flags, one sign. That's all he saw. 
I thought would feature prominently in news reports to present a false image of the crowd. A large group of African-American men sported shirts that said Blacks for Trump. Figuring that journalists would emphasize the solidarity racist sign and Confederate flags, deliberately ignoring the rest, I took note of the fact that many demonstrators were black, Asian, and Latino, with a strong presence of Vietnamese and Chinese Americans. First time you've heard that, right, America? The D.C. government had placed only one portable toilet along the 16-block Constitution Avenue route. Gee, I wonder why. And five more near the intersection with Pennsylvania Avenue near the Canadian Embassy. The federal government opened the Ronald Reagan building so people could use the bathrooms. So understand, the D.C. government had a total of six of these portal potties out where he saw. But the federal government opened up the uh, Reagan Center so people could use the bathrooms. The city had provided few trash bins. D.C. usually provides a large number of toilets and trash receptacles along March routes. Yet remarkably... Little litter could be seen in the streets. People crushed their plastic water bottles and food wrappers and stuffed them in their pockets. And a few marchers picked up the occasional trash along the route. This is what I remember from the Tea Party protests. Observations about the toilets and trash are noteworthy because, in my experience with and among large protest groups in Washington, the large leftist crowds tend to be angry and leave trash in the streets and urine in the shrubs. None of that anger showed in the January 6th crowd along Constitution Avenue. Now, although the crowd represented a broad cross-section of Americans, mostly working class by their appearance and manner of speech, some people stood out. A very few didn't share the jovial, friendly, earnest demeanor of the great majority. Some obviously didn't fit in. Among them were young 20-somethings wearing new Trumper MAGA hats, often with the visor in the back, showing no enthusiasm in either looking at the ground, glowering, or holding out their phones with outstretched arms to make videos of as many faces as possible in the crowd. Some appeared awkward, the way someone's body language inadvertently shows the world that he feels like he doesn't fit in. Few seem to be nursing a deep, churning rage. They generally covered their faces with cloth masks, as opposed to the pro-Trump people, few of whom wore masks at all. They walked often hands in pockets in clusters of perhaps four or six, with at least one of them frequently looking behind. These outliers groups looked like trouble. I presume these fake Trump protesters were Antifa or something similar. However, that entire afternoon I saw none of them act aggressively or cause any problems, at least not from my vantage point. A second outlier group also stood out. While many marchers wore military camouflage shirts, jackets, or pants of various patterns, in states of wear and in all shapes and sizes. Here and there, one would see people of a different type, wiry young men in good physical condition, dressed nearly in what looked like newer camouflage uniforms with black gear, subdued patches including Punisher skulls and helmets. They showed tidiness and discipline. They strode instead of walked, moving at a more rapid pace than most of the people sometimes breaking into a short jog and generally keeping to the left side of Constitution Avenue in pairs of two or small groups of three. Unlike others in old military clothes who tended to be affable and talkative, these sullen men seemed not to speak to anyone at all. As we would see, they were the disciplined, uniform column of attackers. So we walked about three blocks behind the front of the march to the Capitol with perhaps... 
two or 3,000 people ahead of us. The D.C. Metropolitan Police were their usual professionally detached selves, standing on curbs or at street corner crossings and exchanging an occasional greeting for the marchers, but treating the event as routine and at the lowest threat level. When we crossed 1st Street Northwest to enter the Capitol grounds where the Capitol Police had jurisdiction, I noticed no police at all. Several marchers expressed surprise. Passing by a few days earlier, I noticed that with presidential inaugural platform construction underway, the Capitol's west front lawn had been blocked off with plastic. On this day, there was no barrier blocking the paved footpath with its high granite curbs on either side leading up to the Senate side of the hill. The openness seemed like a courtesy gesture from Congress, which controls security. But that appearance of low threat level made no sense. American flags flew over the Senate and House chambers, indicating that each House Congress was in session. Vice President Mike Pence was supposed to be there to certify the electoral votes. For better or worse, this was a historic day in Congress. Yet no Capitol Police appeared anywhere from what we could see, and I commented on to my companion that it was very strange for there to be no police during a joint session of Congress with or without gigantic crowds. At a low point of ground, we crossed on top of what looked like a length of black aluminum fencing that had been placed flat over a wet area of mud or dead leaves in the walkway. It's the only thing out of place in what was becoming a funnel of people marching in from the broad merger of the six-lane Constitution Avenue and four-lane Pennsylvania Avenue and a Senate staff parking lot and parked to the footpath. What looked like tens or even hundreds of thousands of people surged down the avenues as far as one could see. The marchers became denser as greater numbers of people funneled into the paved path, path, footpath going up Capitol Hill, but almost everyone seemed talkative and happy. The path was interrupted by a few steps and a handrail in the middle, going on until a second set of steps ended at a plaza at the Capitol's crypt level. The first thing we saw was the temporary news media tower built for cameras to transmit the upcoming presidential inauguration. As if at a party, some younger Trump supporters had climbed the tower and were waving American and political flags. The tower stood before the painted wooden inaugural stand itself with its VIP section above the balcony-like protrusion where Joe Biden will be sworn in as president. Windbreaks are something similar, made of metal scaffolding and covered with a facade of white cloth or plastic sheeting, rose above the north and south ends of the Capitol. You see how detailed this man has given his background and his profession. No police could be seen on the platform for now. No police could be seen anywhere. People kept surging in from Constitution Avenue, and the plaza quickly filled up and overflowed onto the lawn. Everyone squeezed closer and closer, with most in high spirits. Some trouble began in the front, near the base of the inaugural platform itself, but we could not see what was happening. Many of us looked on our phones for texts or Twitter messages to find out what was happening, but there was no functioning wireless service. Too many people with phones in too small an area overloaded the cell phone transmission facilities. The U.S. Capitol Police recruit a special kind of professional. They're sworn to defend one of the most important building complexes in the country, the U.S. Capitol, and its sprawling congressional office buildings. More importantly, their mission is to defend one of three co-equal branches of the federal government. Every day they deal with thousands of tourists and visitors from around the country and the world. They have to be serious with their mission, but constantly show patience 
with the often frustrating and even annoying throngs of ordinary visitors and those who consider themselves very important people. And normally the Capitol Police are excellent at communicating with crowds. But not today, he says. A contingent of perhaps 30 to 50 Capitol Police emerged at the top of the inaugural platform above the VIP section and worked their way down to the spot where Biden will take his oath of office. Remember, this is from January 14th. It was after 1.17 p.m., according to my camera, they were armed with paintball-type long guns that fired capsules of pepper irritant, tear gas launchers, and long guns that I could not identify from my position. Something was happening on the plaza level below them, but we couldn't see. To our left on the Senate side, a scuffle had already broken out, but we were so packed so tightly that we couldn't see or hear. The biggest feature was the imposing edifice of the Capitol itself. The party-like guys up the camera tower and the endless crowd of people flowing in with colorful flags. American, MAGA, South Vietnamese, even one from Kazakhstan. Many eyes were on the Capitol Police in their black tactical gear, bright yellow-green safety vests and weapons. Some out-of-towners wondered why the police were there when they were all pro-police and no Antifa were present. Others say they did see Antifa wearing backward MAGA hats, so the police must have been waiting for them. I quietly wondered why so few police were present for a crowd this size or any size. Then something happened at the front of the crowd, as if a champagne cork popped to release pent-up human energy. It seemed like a scuffle, but from 40 feet back, I couldn't see. People started chanting USA, USA, and other slogans. Some burst with streams of profanity about Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and the steel. For a few seconds, I saw what looked like police in a tussle with some of the marchers up front, what appeared to be an organized group in civilian clothes. This organized group are the cell I call the plainclothes militants. They fit right in with the MAGA people. Suddenly, energy surged from the front of the crowd as the anti-riot police above on the inaugural platform Visibly tensed up, some cited their pepper, some, uh, cited their pepper ball weapons toward the densely packed people. One fired a tear gas canister, not at the plainclothes militants at the front line, but into the crowd itself. Then another. Flash grenades went off in the middle of the crowd. I'd seen anti-riot police in action before. They moved with a decisive sense of purpose. Now the Capitol Police crew seemed confused, as if without a leader or perhaps inadequate rules of engagement. These professionals seemed directionless. Some clambered up and down the inaugural platform steps. Others milled back and forth at the swearing-in level. Most of the police ended up leaving the surreal scene. Nobody could tell why. No bullhorn or sound system could be heard for the police to communicate with the swelling mass of people. The tear gas changed the crowd's demeanor. There was an air of disbelief as people realized that the police whom they supported were firing on them. What are you doing? We support you, someone yelled. Tear gas waved through the crowd, a low-grade irritant, fortunately, as if to send a warning to disperse. But nobody could disperse. Some tried to leave the area, but more kept flowing in from Constitution Avenue, making an evacuation impossible. All of a sudden, pro-police people felt the police were attacking them, and they didn't know why. Instead of running away, the people stood their ground. Something seemed to break loose a second time toward the front, but we couldn't tell what it was. Younger members of the crowd climbed the scaffolding inside the north facade of the inaugural platform and waved flags from the top. The crowd cheered. More tear gas. A canister struck a girl in the face, drawing blood. 
The pro-police crowd went from disbelief and confusion to anger. A few dozen members of the crowd, mostly young men, raced up a narrow path on the stone steps behind the facade and limestone wall facing a few police at the top. Well, it goes on, ladies and gentlemen. And the bottom line is this. He points out there were organized provocateurs. That the massive number of people there had no intention of doing anything violent and didn't. I have a hard break. More when I return. in. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. So to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these very things, and it teaches them still today. We can all study these things, all with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient and Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. Friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. levinforhillsdale.com. was some testimony today about protecting the Capitol building, and we have contradictions and perhaps lies. It's not clear yet between the chief of the Capitol Police, the former chief, the former Sergeant of Arms, I believe, of the Senate, Sergeant of Arms of the House, uh, told the reluctance, supposedly, of the Pentagon to send National Guardsmen What a mess. The reason I spent all this time reading that gentleman's eyewitness account, because he's a serious man, is because it underscores the extent to which there was pre-planning. It underscores the extent to which militia entities got involved in this. It underscores the extent to which that this was not an incitement to an insurrection, neither an incitement nor an insurrection. And that the entire attack on Donald Trump has been an exploitation of a violent riot that did in fact occur on Capitol Hill, not by his quote-unquote supporters, but by violent militia types. And that the media continue to push a fabrication as they continue to cover up what happened to the White House when Donald Trump occupied it and what happened to the Portland Courthouse. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin, our number, 
We have to spend a lot of time, I'm sure, in the next several years straightening out the facts and the record because we have quite a liar in the White House. He's surrounded by liars, and of course the media is filled with propagandists on his behalf. Have you ever heard of Dr. Francis Collins? Ever heard of Dr. Francis Collins? Director of the National Institutes of Health. He was Fauci's boss. And um, Fauci, you know, people ought to put a a sort of a management chart up on the screen so you understand Fauci is not in charge of all the health and medical and scientific operations of the federal government. He's in one area, infectious disease. That's it. There's a lot of other areas. Cancer, diabetes, and I can go on and on and on. Excuse me. He's not in charge of any of those. Infectious disease, a very narrow area, very, very critical area. But you would think he's in charge of the economy. He'll tell you about travel and the border. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just incredible how this man has been made up to be some kind of, uh, you know, renaissance man. He's nothing of the sort. Now, Francis Collins was director of the National Institutes of Health. And Fauci's boss. And he was doing an interview with uh, Axios, the left-wing site, on HBO. And hat tip to uh, Blaze Media. I want you to listen to this carefully, please. Cut 14, go. I'd like to talk a little bit more of the Trump administration. Um, Mask wearing aside, what did they get right? The Operation Warp Speed, for which I give a great deal of credit uh, to Secretary Azar, was an effort that many of us were not initially convinced was going to be necessary. It was thought about as a Manhattan Project. Those words were used sometimes to describe what needed to happen in order to get all parts of the government together in an unprecedented way uh, to test up to six vaccines in rigorous trials and to do this at-risk manufacturing so that if any of those trials happened to work, you would already have doses ready to go into arms. That would not be the way things are traditionally done. That effort and the recruitment of Dr. Monsef Slaoui was an incredibly important step forward that the administration deserves credit for because that did motivate uh, a lot of actions, a lot of coordination. The fact that we, in December, had not one but two vaccines that had gone through trials of at least 30,000 participants and had been judged safe and effective by a very rigorous and very public FDA process uh, is just breathtaking. That that got done in 11 months from when we first knew about this virus is at least five years faster than it's ever been done before. Now, this interview has not appeared on NBC, CBS, or ABC. It has not appeared on CNN or MSNBC. It's not transcribed in the New York Times or the Washington Post. Because Dr. Francis Collins, the director of the National Institutes of Health and Fauci's boss, just destroyed utterly and completely the narrative that has been pushed by Fauci, the narrative that's been pushed by Biden and his surrogates, and that includes in the media. And therefore, I'm going to play it again. 
I got so much to do this evening, but I'm going to play it again. Because if I don't, you're not going to hear it all over the country. So this is a professional, this is a scientist, this is a government employee, Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health, and Fauci's boss. And I want you to listen again to what he says, because it contradicts everything that's coming out of Biden's mouth and Pasaki's mouth, everything that's coming out of the propaganda mill. And what amazes me, really, is Donald Trump. People say, look at the, the, look how brash he is and the braggadocia and so forth. Even though he talks about how they developed the vaccine, he's never really done it in a way that is all-encompassing or comprehensive, where he could. He could spend 10 minutes just laying it all out. But the problem is the media would poo-poo him and undermine him and attack him. Why isn't it that Dr. Fauci doesn't speak this way when he's asked this question? Why doesn't he say the truth? Now remember, Fauci wasn't in charge of this. He was not in charge of this. But Fauci knows the facts. Fauci knows that the development was done as a result of Operation Warp Speed. Everybody knows that the production of these vaccines... And the upward trajectory, we're going to have enough for everybody by mid-late summer. Everybody will have been vaccinated. Had nothing to do with Joe Biden. That the production of the vaccines, that the dissemination and the use of the vaccines, that this was all in place. That's the genius of what the prior administration did. They had to beat back and beat down the bureaucracy. And whip them in the shape in order to get this stuff done in the private sector, working with the federal government. It is a story that needs to be told. It's a story that should have been told before the election. It's one of the biggest cover-ups that we've seen. What Trump and his people accomplished here is unparalleled in human history. And to hear Biden come in and plagiarize and try and steal credit and we're going to produce all this, we're going to produce all that. He's not doing anything differently. In fact, you want to know the truth? He's along for the ride. He's along for the ride. These things were developed while he was attacking and undermining Donald Trump and blaming him for every death in the country. Let's listen again. Again, Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Fauci's boss. Cut 14, go. I'd like to talk a little bit more of the Trump administration. Um, Mask wearing aside, what did they get right The Operation Warp Speed, for which I give a great deal of credit uh, to Secretary Azar, was an effort that many of us were not initially convinced was going to be necessary. So stop. So here we are, the bureaucracy. One of the leading men in the bureaucracy, one of the leading scientists at Operation Warp Speed, we're very skeptical. Very skeptical. The bureaucracy, we're skeptical. Go ahead. Manhattan Project. Those words were used. Sometimes. So they said they were going to turn it into a Manhattan Project, which is exactly what they did. And so internally they were kind of mocked and laughed at. A Manhattan Project. Oh, great. Sure, sure. Go ahead. It needed to happen. In order to get all parts of the government together, 
in an unprecedented way uh, to test up to six vaccines in rigorous trials and to do this at-risk manufacturing so that if the, any of those trials happened to work, you would already have doses ready to so go. So let's and stop. And we talked about this months and months ago. Trump, the businessman, what he did here is he said, you know what? While you're testing the vaccines and we can't be sure they're going to work, we're going to start immediately to be producing them. We're going to start to produce them. And we're going to spend billions of dollars beginning to produce vaccines. So if any of these six vaccines work, we're going to hit the ground running and start to vaccinate people. Remember, Trump said you can wear a mask, you can shut down the economy. This isn't going to stop the virus. What stops the virus is a vaccine and therapeutics. And he said it over and over and over again. It's hard to miss it. And so he's the one who decided we're going to start developing and manufacturing, prepare for distribution, each one of these vaccines, just in case any one of them works. That had never been done before. Both the speed in the development and the speed in the production and distribution had never been done before, ever. Ever. Go ahead. That would not be the way things are traditionally done. That effort and the recruitment of Dr. Monsef Slaoui uh, was an incredibly important So step. what does Trump do? What does the administration do? They bring in this top expert, respected across the board, who had significant private sector experience, and put him in charge of Operation Warp Speed. And you can hear Dr. Francis Collins, director of the National Institutes of Health, saying this made a difference. All these things made a difference. They made a big difference. We never did anything like this before. So he didn't just leave it to the bureaucracy, Trump. He brought in an outsider who was respected to oversee Operation Warp Speed because Trump was serious about it. They developed these vaccines in record time. And he's already pouring capital money into the production distribution and storage of the vaccines in case any of them meets the criteria set by the CDC, among others. He's pushing it as fast as he can, developing it as fast as he can, trying to get it into people's arms as fast as he can. Now, leave it right there, Rich. What is Biden doing at the same time? He's attacking Trump. He's accusing Trump for every death that's occurred. He says Trump's not doing things fast enough. He didn't get the test fast enough. He didn't get the PPP fast enough. He didn't get the beds fast enough. He's not getting vaccines fast enough. And by the way, he's getting them too fast. And we don't trust it. He's cutting corners. Remember all this? Biden couldn't even contribute his support for the effort. Go ahead. Administration deserves credit for, because that did motivate uh, a lot of actions, a lot of coordination. The fact that we, in December, had not one but two vaccines that had gone through trials of at least 30,000 participants and had been judged safe and effective by a very rigorous and very public FDA process uh, is just breathtaking. Listen, even the head of the National Institutes of Health, Fauci's boss, is shocked at how this was pulled off. Fauci's out there now talking about masks, wearing two masks, 
wearing them till 2021, 2022, shutting down the economy. He's way out of his lane. He knows nothing of what he speaks. He's the infectious disease guy. In my opinion, his ass ought to be fired. He did a lousy job. He takes no responsibility and has no accountability. People are saying over half a million people died. He's the infectious disease guy. But here we have Dr. Francis Collins. Even his mind is blown by the extent to which Operation Warp Speed did what it did. He's even, he's even, wow, you know, we've never done this before. Look at all the things. Look at all the things that were done under Operation Warp Speed. Go ahead. That got done in 11 months from when we first knew about this virus is at least five years faster than it's ever been done before. Five years faster than it's ever been done before. And I want you to noodle on that for a second. Five years faster than it's ever been done before. Now listen to me. If Donald Trump had not been president, if he did not surround himself with these various people, if he had not launched Operation Warp Speed, if he had not been an outsider and a businessman who took the whip to the bureaucracy, who wouldn't take no for an answer... Five years. How many people would die in five years if we didn't have a vaccine? How many people would lose their jobs and their businesses over the next five years if we didn't have a vaccine, two vaccines? What would happen to this country, to the people in this country, to the psyche of the people in this country, but for this unbelievable success of Trump's Operation Warp Speed. You'd be looking at a completely different country with far more deaths in the, as far as the eye can see. That's what Donald Trump did. That's what the Trump administration did. And that's not what Biden is doing or would have done. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Meanwhile, we get these. These crazy statements, these crazy statements intended to scare the hell out of people for which politicians and their surrogates are never held to account. Ever. Ever. 
John Kerry has spent his life as a serial liar. From the moment he testified in front of the Fulbright Committee, trashing his fellow soldiers in Vietnam, throughout his so-called career, he's married very well, never married a poor woman, by the way, only enormously rich. And now it's climate change. He's lied about what he's done with the Iran deal, going behind the back of Secretary Pompeo and the Trump administration, undermining our policies there, now undermining them again. Now climate change. Here's a guy that lives better than virtually anybody else in the United States of America. He's in the top one millionth percent. But he's never earned an honest dollar in his life. Again, the Heinz family made the fortune. The Mellon family, yeah, he married a Mellon, and then he married a a Heinz. I'm sure it was love at first sight, Mr. Producer. Nonetheless. Kerry says, we have nine years to save the world. Nine years. Now, what kind of an idiot is that? Rather than being the climate czar who travels the world, he should be institutionalized in a padded room. I guess with Biden. But nonetheless, Peter Ducey, who's actually a real reporter, very sharp young man, he's at the White House press briefing today and he confronts Pasaki about this incredible Kerry claim that we have nine years, ladies and gentlemen, nine years. Well, if we only have nine years, then why do we care about increasing the minimum wage or making sure Social Security is working or anything? In other words, if doom and gloom occurs in nine years, why do we give a damn about all this stuff? Cut five, go. Last week, the climate envoy, John Kerry, said that there are only nine years left to save the world from the effects of climate change. Does President Biden share that assessment? Nine years. I don't have a new timeline to to give you from here. I can confirm for you, though, that the president agrees with former Secretary Kerry that it's a crisis, uh, that time is of the essence. We need to act quickly, uh, and that's why climate is a key part of his agenda. We need to act very, very fastly, as fast as possible, so there's no circumspection, so there's no analysis, so there's no experienced people involved. We must add fa- act fast. We have an abstraction, we have a theory, we have a claim, and we must act on it immediately. We must destroy our capitalist system. We must degrow our economy. We must stop eating meat. You must stop flatulence. And by the way, I I recommend that, Mr. Producer. All these things you must do. You must give up your cars, give up your big homes. Move in the tinier and tinier areas, except, of course, when we have a China virus, then we've got to move further and further apart. But nonetheless, these elites and these crazy-ass Marxist activists are destroying our country. Destroying our country. Kerry got what he wants. His kids got what they want. Their families are living high off the hog, may I say. It's your children and grandchildren are going to be affected by all this alarmism and all this phony pseudo-science. It's such crap. You got that, Jeremy Peters and Philip Bump? Am I talking too fast for you? I'll be right back. Mark Levin, radio's principal patriot. 
Call in now at 877-381-3811. I talked earlier about Fauci's boss, right? So here is Fauci. And I guarantee you there are scientists and medical experts throughout the federal government that can't stand this guy because they know what he is. They know what he is. He's like the Stormy Daniels of, uh, of, uh, of, of science, Mr. Producer, if you get my drift. And so Alison Camerata, who is a know-nothing buffoon, hence she works at CNN as a host, I want you to listen to how Fauci answers this. Unlike his boss, the National Institutes of Health director, who gives credit where credit is due, I want you to listen to Fauci. This guy is so unscrupulous. In my view, so unethical. Cut 11, go. When you go back, when we, when we replay now exactly a year ago, President Trump saying we have it very much under control, we've had no deaths. The next day he said it's very well under control. You know, this is amazing. The president, that president, had daily press conferences. So out of God knows how many words, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of words, daily press conferences, even open to the likes of a Jim Acosta and other reprobates and miscreants and malcontents. They cherry-pick what the man said over the course of a period of time. She'll never mention all the things Trump said about Operation Warp Speed, about getting therapeutics, about getting vaccines in record time. She'll never say anything about that. Now, will she, ladies and gentlemen? No. Next thing, they'll say something stupid like he said to put detergent in your system. The idiot Biden said that today. Trump never said that. Go ahead. A few days later, he said, everything's under control. I mean, we're, we're very, very cool. We've done it very well. Everything's really under control. Um, do you think that his denial and lack of facts um, contributed to this level? Now of let's loss? stop for a second. Donald Trump's been out of office since January 20th. This is a very vicious, poisonous, leading question that she throws out there. Still the effort to blame Donald Trump for the China virus, which you're not allowed to call the China virus. They act like it's the Donald Trump virus. And yet Donald Trump has done more and did more to wrestle this virus to the ground than all those Democrat governors combined then everyone in the Biden administration, and including Biden combined, he did more than anybody to save lives, potentially millions of lives. As I said in the first hour, if he had followed protocol, if he had followed the Fauci, CDC, NIH protocol, they'd still be searching around for vaccines, a five-year process at a minimum. We know that the director of the National Institutes of Health just told us, and we know it is a matter of unequivocal fact. Five more years of this. The fact that we have vaccines, the fact that people are trying to get them, the fact that they're being distributed is no thanks to Fauci, quite frankly. Certainly CNN and the Democrat Party, no help from them. They have a so-called COVID-19 relief bill where they're given $350 million. That's one-third, excuse me, billion, one-third of a trillion to Democrat cities, Democrat governors. To bail them out. Now, how does that help you with the virus? Bailing out teachers' unions. Spending money on schools that aren't open. Funding abortions. Oh, yeah, this all helps with the virus. 
So what does the genius little Fauci have to say? Go. Well, I think, uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm uncomfortable going back and directly criticizing, but it's really almost self-evident. He is really diabolical, isn't he? Let's try something unusual. I interviewed this man in March. He must know by now that I despise him. But nonetheless, Mr. Producer, I'm serious. See if he'll come on the radio show. Tell him for an honest, objective interview. Man to man. Man to man. One on one. Let's see if he'll do it. He shows up everywhere else. Everywhere else. Now he's a... Not just a public figure, he's on the public payroll. So he should be willing to come on the Mark Levin show that has an audience four billion times bigger than Alison Camerata. He should be willing to talk to you, ladies and gentlemen. He shouldn't just go on shows where they're going to pat him on his head. I have some serious questions I want to ask this man. Let's see if he's up to it. We're moving fast and furious, as they say. We've got a lot to cover this evening. This Peter Ducey, you can tell when he asks a question, he asks a question. He's like the kid next door, you know. He's so polite. He's so matter-of-fact. He asks, it's, it's not like this uh, drama queen, Jim Acosta. He was a drama queen, you know. Ducey's not that way. Ducey's far more professional. Far more professional. More level-headed. But he asks really good questions. But you can see on Pasaki's face, she starts to... It starts to do weird stuff, Mr. Producer, like you're watching the movie Alien, doesn't it? Her face goes into contortions. Contortions, almost. One eye goes in one direction. One eye goes in another direction. You can start seeing the face crinkling up and in live time. It, it's really something. And all he is is asking her a question. So Biden has sent word south of the border, ladies and gentlemen. Come one, come all, and come as fast as you can, as many of you as you can. So what's happening? Children are being sent north to cross our border without adults, which means they're subjected to what? All kinds of vile activity, no doubt. They're coming across, trying to come across. Biden has said, if you seek refugee status, you don't have to wait in Mexico anymore, even though we have a wonderful agreement with Mexico, thanks to Trump. You can wait in the United States, which means they're not going to wait at all. We know as a matter of statistical fact, unequivocal fact, yet again, science, science, that people don't show up for their administrative hearings two years later. A small fraction, like under 5% do. And so off into the shadows, as they say, they go. In addition, we're not deporting anybody anymore unless they've, you know, been caught on camera killing or raping somebody. Otherwise, pretty much they can stay. And then we have this capture and release thing going on. Oh, you're here illegally? Yes. Okay. Welcome. Now, I want you to think about something. Let's talk about core principles before I get to this. What kind of a country treats its citizens worse than foreigners who haven't even arrived yet? What kind of a country does that? Why do we have open arms for everybody in the world, but not open arms for United States citizens? We're always going to have immigration, some kind of managed immigration. That's fine. 
But that's not what the Democrats are doing. They're taking that which is illegal and they're normalizing it. And they're normalizing it. You have people coming across the border. We don't know how ill they are. We don't know what diseases, if any, they have, what illnesses, if any, they have. They're not being tested for COVID-19, despite the fact that it's the Trump administration that developed the test. Biden's just along for the ride. We have no idea. And yet they're talking about, we got to trace you and follow you and make sure that you've had the vaccine and you're not sick anymore. What about people coming across the border illegally? What, are you a racist and a white supremacist? None of this makes sense unless you understand that the goal here is to empower the Democrat Party. They only follow science if science helps them. If science doesn't help them, they reject it. Look at the schools. Look at the schools. And so they talk about these cages at these facilities for children. The fact is they were never cages. They were never cages. They're trying to give you the impression that you're walking into the zoo and there's kids being kept in cages. These sites are opened up to people to review, people who have responsibilities for health and for children. The reason they're in these facilities is because where else are they going to go? We don't have, you know, a whole development to send illegal aliens to. We don't have a whole housing system. We do for detention, but I mean, that can handle all these children. We don't know if they're coming with their parents, if those people are their parents. We don't know if they're coyotes. We don't know what's going on, which is what Trump kept saying. I don't know who they are. Of course we have to separate them. What if they're being molested? We don't know. But of course, just like the death toll on the China uh, virus, they exploited it. They accused Trump of caging little children, caging them. Now, of course, we know Obama actually built the cages, if you want to call them cages. And let me go further. The Obama-Biden administration actually first built the cages. Those photos that were all over the place in the news and so forth, those were cages built by the Obama-Biden administration, which they put little children in there. But they're humane, you see. When the Democrats build cages or they intern Japanese-Americans or whatever they're doing, that's humane. They're humane. And so now there's an overflow. There's an overflow of people coming in. So now what are we going to do? So Peter Ducey puts it to Jen Psaki, who goes through a whole... Just listen. Cut 12, go. It's the same facility that was open for a month in the Trump administration, summer 2019. That is when Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said... Uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. Uh, and so the, these are facilities. Let me, be, let me be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to each other uh, in ways that are not COVID safe, are you? I'm suggesting that Kamala Harris said that this facility, putting people in this facility, was a human rights abuse committed by the United States government. And Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes of border uh, at the border of kids being kept in cages. Now, it's not under Trump, it's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is, this is kids, this is a facility that was and Let's open. just stop. It's the same place, same places. They're the same places, ladies and gentlemen. 
the same exact places. Where's big media? Where's big tech? Where are the immigration front groups? Where are the civil rights front groups? Where are the Democrats jumping up and down out of concern? Kamala Harris, nowhere to be found, of course. They created this whole situation to begin with, back under Obama-Biden. They've created it again. Trump used them for like a month, maybe uh, tops 45 days to try and find a way to address it and then close them down. They're open again. Oh, it's different, though, you see, because, well, because what? Because what? They're children. No, no, you don't understand. We Democrats really believe in equality, and actually we believe in equity. Go ahead. I'm going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is not a replication, certainly not. No, it is a replication. It certainly is. It's an absolute replication. Why are you lying? And where are the media? Where's Jeremy, uh, what's his name? Pivens, what's his name? I always forget that guy's name. Mr. Producer's not very helpful. What is it? We're all blanking. Where's Philip Bump? And Jeremy over there at the uh, New York Times. Where are these people? Why aren't they hunting this down? Why aren't they doing front page stories on this? We know why. They're in the tank. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. I have a little treat for you at the end of the program tonight. Mr. Producer did it. I wasn't aware of it, but he's a good man. And that is the four or five minutes. I think it's four or five minutes, right, Rich? Where Rush uh, uh, inducted me into the Hall of Fame uh, the next day because he couldn't make it. It was snowing, November 19, 2018. It's not about me, but it's about what he says because it's actually pretty, pretty cool. Um, again, not about me being so great, but it's it's the way he does it. I think that is pure rush, uh, which is why we're going to miss him. So, all right, we'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Excuse me. 877-381-3811, muscling through here. As Rush would say, perhaps, with one nostril type on my back, given I had this uh, septum surgery here. Got to tend to my nose every now and then. Okay. Mitch McConnell has announced that he's going to support Merrick Garland for Attorney General. You know, this Mitch McConnell is such a disaster. This guy, Merrick Garland, didn't merit, in any respect, confirmation, Merrick Garland, but I'm calling him Merrick Garland. He, he shouldn't have won confirmation yesterday. Will he enforce the immigration laws? He wouldn't say. When asked about the domestic terrorism that took place night after night, day after day, at the Portland courthouse, I mean, this man works in a courthouse for a living. He said it's not necessarily domestic terrorism. And he said, for instance, if it happens at night and nobody's there, you know, if it happens at night and nobody's there, what if it happened at night and nobody was in his courthouse in Washington, D.C.? What kind of a stupid comment is that? He demonstrated that he is political through and through. There are people that Biden have nominated to the highest positions of the Department of Justice, including the Civil Rights Division, who are out-and-out racists, bigots. What this nominee Clark has said about Caucasians is unbelievable. You have individuals like her, in my view, who are part of this black separatist or black nationalist movement called critical race theory, all over the Democrat Party now and all over this administration. It's so dangerous and so destructive. So this is the man who would head the department, and Mitch McConnell says, and by the way, he's interviewed by Politico. What did I tell you? He's a big leaker to Politico. The lib media really does not hate Mitch McConnell. They slobber all over him at National Review. They slobber all over him at the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal. And he gets the kid glove treatments at the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost. And Politico just loves him. Their head is so far up his nostrils, it's not even funny. McConnell will support Merrick Garland's nomination for Attorney General five years after blocking the judge's path to the Supreme Court. The reason the judge's path was blocked to the Supreme Court was because Obama broke norms again. That is, he nominated somebody in the last year of his presidency, and the Republicans refused to help him. Now, that's typical. We've gone over those facts over and over again, but they're too complicated for Marianne Levine, no relationship to me, thank God, at Politico. She's a little too slow. 
That's what happens when you have lower IQ individuals moving into journalism. I do, McConnell told Political Tuesday afternoon when asked if he plans to back Garland. The Kentucky Republican did not elaborate on his decision. It's funny. Politico, New York Slimes, Washington Compost, they'll all get an interview with uh, McConnell. Never me. Because he hates you. He hates conservatives. He hates the base. You're the problem. The left he can deal with because, you know, when McConnell wants his power, even if it's ruling over a minority in the Senate, he wants to be the guy ruling over it. That's it. And who, who is a greater danger to him? We are, conservatives. Unbelievable. Now we have this. I, I couldn't believe my eyes there for a minute, Mr. Producer. I, I turn on my computer and Republicans release bill to gradually raise the federal minimum wage to $10 an hour. Now who's proposing this? Mitt Romney and my friend Tom Cotton. Now I would just say as a matter of principle, why are senators deciding what the minimum wage should be in businesses throughout this country, small, large, medium, startups, why are they setting wages for anybody? Where did they get this brilliance from? How do they know? How do they know? And so, for millions of Americans, the rising cost of living has made it harder to make ends meet, but the federal minimum wage has not been increased in more than 10 years. Now, Romney has put out, you'll recall, a minimum income for children, or families with children. Now he wants to control the minimum wage. So this is Massachusetts Mitt. That's what we have now, Massachusetts Mitt. And so what Republicans do is they basically take these Democrat ideas and they water them down. And they water them down. Our legislation would raise the floor for workers without costing jobs and increase the federal minimum wage to $10, it would increase without costing jobs. How do these guys know that? They have no idea. Look, let me give you an example. How can I put this? My parents ran a very small retail shop outside of Philadelphia. And they sold things that weren't necessities. They didn't sell food and sort of thing. They sold some furniture, they sold some porcelains that were imported, they sold some jewelry, things of that sort. A a nice retail shop. There is no way they could have paid any of these minimum wage salaries to anybody. Period. Year to year, their income was unpredictable. If we had a deep recession like we did in the 70s, they did quite poorly. It was tough for ends to be, you know, to meet ends. Other years they did better. Obviously not, you know, like John Kerry and Mitt Romney and the others, but they did better. The point is, Mitt Romney and my friend Tom Cotton, they don't work in these little stores. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea what's going on on that street in Jenkintown, Pennsylvania. If there's stores competing with each other, if there's stores that are basically barely holding on, they have no idea what's going on. They talk about a living wage. It's not about a living wage. It's about living. That is, whether or not a small retailer can even survive. 
Everybody's not Amazon. And so this one-size-fits-all is repugnant to those of us who believe in competition, free market systems, even mixed market systems, capitalism. It's repugnant. People in Washington, D.C. happen to get there, and they say, and we'll gradually do this, and it won't cost jobs. You have no idea what it'll cost. So they take a bad idea, and they water it down, and then it's supposed to be a good idea. No, it's a bad idea. Now, there are some businesses that can afford to pay more, and some of them are very competitive, and they're going to pay more than $10 an hour. Some of them are going to pay more than $15 an hour. That's fine. That's good. There's competition in business, and there's, competi- <coughs> excuse me, and there's competition in labor. This is basic stuff. You can't tie it to the cost of living and the cost and the rate of inflation. That has nothing to do with whether or not people walk into somebody's door and spend money. What's good for Laurel, Mississippi may not be good for New York City or vice versa. What's good for a small store that has two or three employees and a store down the street that may have 21 employees, it's not the same thing. Well, it hasn't increased since 2009. Well, who cares? For certain individuals, it may have increased a whole lot, depending on what they're contributing to the business or if they moved on to another business. People aren't required to stay in these same places if they're not earning enough money. That's why we have what's called mobility. And so I was quite surprised to see this, quite frankly, from Tom. Not from Romney. Romney is, uh, you know... <clears throat> looking for any any level to be uh, relevant and to be patted on the head as a really good guy. It's a fool, Romney. Something happened at the United States Department of State today that was just precious. Finally, somebody other than Peter Ducey called out this administration for their lies and their contradictions. Ducey does it in a very, very friendly way. Jim Acosta always showed up like he was sitting on a cucumber or something. But there's another guy that we used to listen to a lot, Matt Lee of the Associated Press. And regardless who's in office and so forth, this guy is an old school journalist. And when we come back, I want to hear you. Excuse me, I want you to hear him. I want to hear you too, but I want you to hear him address the the new spokes idiot at the Department of State, who's trying to take credit for something that occurred as a result of the Trump administration. It's precious. We'll be right back. Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us. 
we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Matt Lee at the Associated Press. This guy is a little bit curmudgeonly, which is kind of a cool thing. I would know. And also, he's very straightforward. You don't have to agree with him, but... He definitely doesn't take sides. Do you remember some years ago, a couple of years ago, I guess, Donald Trump was sitting across the table. He had his staff, and Chancellor Merkel had her staff. And he was very direct with her, and the whole world watched. We told her to cut it out with the Russian gasoline pipeline. That we're pouring all this money into NATO to defend Germany and these other countries from Russia. And she is subsidizing Russia and the war machine over there by using the, the gas that comes from the Russian pipeline. Which, of course, is a national security problem, including for Germany and those other countries, but us too. Because then Russia can blackmail these countries and control the extent to which they get energy. And remember when the the old-time foreign policy types and the old-time reporters that covered the old-time foreign policy types and the Democrats, they were all appalled. He said, what? He did what? What? You don't do that. No, you don't do that. Well, of course, he was right again. And so what Trump did is he enforced his opposition, threatening to cut the money we give to NATO unless Germany and some of these other countries cut it out, as well as these various um, corporate arms of these various states. And Pompeo did the same thing. They would put them on a list where they were not going to do business with the United States or as much business with the United States unless they cut it out. So much for Donald Trump being uh, Vladimir Putin's lapdog. He never was and never would be, but that's just the nature of the media. They lie and they're corrupt. Well, I want you to listen. They're just a minute 20, but it's, but it's very good. Matt Lee, who covers the, a- <coughs> excuse me, the AP at the State Department, at a press briefing today with the spokes idiot, Ned Price. And they're back and forth. Cut one, go. So we'll continue to work closely with Germany. We'll continue to work closely uh, with our other allies and partners uh, in Europe to uphold Europe's own stated uh, energy security goals. It's a bit disingenuous to claim credit for the 18 companies winding down. All of this work was done under the previous administration. You guys have only been in month for, I mean, only been in office for a month, right? Are you telling me that in the last four weeks, these 18 companies all of a sudden decided to say, "Oh my God, we better not do anything with Nord Stream 2"? I am speaking for the United. All of that, you guys are taking credit for stuff that the previous administration did. I I am not. I am speaking for the Department of State. Okay. The people who have been working this. The people who are working this now were the same people a month ago. Were the same people three months ago. Three months ago. So I. Just one following up on that. So the administration is committed to ensuring that that pipeline is not completed? Our position on this has not changed. To Matt's point, we have the same position that the previous administration had. It is a bad deal. It is bad for Europe. It is in contravention of Europe's own stated energy goals. Is that a bad commercial deal or a bad geopolitical deal or a moral deal? Uh, we're, we're talking in terms of geopolitics. Right, now we get I, the I, idiots in the back row. Hey, is it bad morally? Bad. Shut up, you idiot. 
But Matt Lee called him out, you see. And then he had to say, yes, it's the same position. It is the position that was set by the Trump administration. It was not the position of the Obama-Biden administration. It has now become the position of the Biden administration. And those 18 companies buckled because of the Trump administration, which was Lee's point when he said, aren't you being disingenuous? Yeah, they lie through their teeth. Same thing. Same thing. They try to take credit where credit is not due, and they try and tear down their predecessor. This is what the left always does. This is how they operate. By the way, as it turns out, the rioters who charged the Capitol building on January 6th aren't the only ones to have found their way into the Senate chamber and take over the seat of the president of the Senate, the president pro tem, or the vice president who sits in that seat. They're not the only ones to have done that, Mr. Producer. Are you aware of that? Joseph Robinette Biden. Joseph Robinette Biden. Now there's a man, a lunch bucket man, if there ever was one. Joseph Robinette Biden. He had tipped to rumble. Turns out, he once walked into the chamber, took that very same scene, and was arrested. It was before he was elected to the Senate, of course. He was only 21, as he tells the tale. But think about it. Ten years later, he's a United States senator, and he's working with segregationists. White supremacists. This is the thing. The only person to actually work with white supremacists to support segregation... Who ran for president was Joe Biden, yet they try and stick that tag on Donald Trump. And it's his supporters who voted for him. Anyway, check it out. Cut six. This is from July 31, 2007. Go. What was that like uh, walking into the great Senate chamber at 29 years old? You know, I walked in when I was 21 and I got arrested. I was a, it was a Saturday. I was down visiting some friends at Georgetown University. And uh, I came up on a Saturday morning because I was fascinated with the Senate. And they had a Saturday session. I walked up those days, no guards stopping everywhere. And, I, and they just got out of session. I walked in the back. All of a sudden, I found myself in the chamber, and I was stunned. I walked up, sat down in the presiding officer's seat. Guy grabbed me by the shoulder, said, you're under arrest. Was he topless, wearing a, a hat with horns on it? Is he the guy, Mr. Producer? That's what that guy did, what? January 6th. I have no idea if this is true. Joe Biden is a serial liar. I have no idea if this is true. But if it is, isn't it interesting? Not really. Joe Biden's such an idiot. Well, he's 21. I'm walking around. There's no guard. Let me tell you something. I used to go to the Capitol all the time. Get on that same train from Philadelphia. Go to Washington, D.C., get out of the uh, Union Station. My buddy and I, usually Eric Christensen, sometimes our buddy Jack, too, we'd, we'd walk to the Capitol building, we'd get the passes, we'd sit in the Senate gallery or the House gallery all day long, take the train back at night because we were fascinated by it. There weren't a lot of police around, and you could walk around. But any idiot knew you don't walk on the Senate floor and sit in the president's seat, except Joe Biden. And now the idiot's a president. I'll be right back. 
AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Mark Levin, America's mentor of conservatism. Call now at 877-381-3811. November 19, 2018. A little over two years ago. That's all it was. I've been voted into the radio, National Radio Hall of Fame, thanks to you folks, my beloved audience. And because of you, it was the most votes ever. Not because I'm the greatest ever, but because you're the greatest ever. And it is a great honor to be nominated and then to be chosen and chosen by you. And there really wasn't any question who was who I wanted to introduce me and, and um, into the Hall of Fame, induct me into the Hall of Fame. If they could have had two, it would have been Rush and Sean, of course. But as Sean acknowledges, it's Rush. Rush is the, is the genius. Rush is the man who made all this possible for you to listen to. And so he was very upset. It was a terrible weather day. We almost didn't make it. We almost didn't get to the, to the event. We got there very late. There was a terrible snowstorm. My wife, Julie, and my mother-in-law, Sylvia, and nobody else could get there. The airports were shut down. There was no other service, so we drove. Actually, my wife drove. I was extremely irritated by the whole thing, trying to get there. But nonetheless, we got there. And so Rush was pretty upset that he couldn't fly in. Because he, uh, he more than anyone, is responsible <clears throat> for my doing radio. And so unbeknownst to me, he decided, gave me a two-minute heads up that Flea, he would call me Flea or F. Lee or Mark. Uh, I'm going to induct you on the air. I'm going to do it on radio because you deserve it. And what's... The reason I'm playing this is because it's not even about me. It's just the way he communicated, as you'll see, and how observant he was. So let's begin. Cut 13, go. Mark Levin has had a, an amazingly diverse life. 
He was the spokesman and uh, liaison. He was the chief of staff for the Attorney General Ed Meese during the Reagan administration. He is an accomplished lawyer. He started the Landmark Legal Foundation, was a conservative legal 501c3 activist group that represents conservative causes in courts all over the country. He has, but he grew up loving radio. He grew up loving talk radio, grew up practicing talk radio, pretending to be on talk radio when he was driving around in his car. He would listen to people calling into talk shows and ignore the host and answer them himself. He sort of one day and sit in and watch the program. He came down and did I said, you want to go for a drive afterwards? I wanted to show him poems. No, no, I need to talk about what just happened. I need to talk about what I just saw. He was a student of it. He realized that he didn't... Uh, uh, he's not one of these people who thought he could do it and knew it all from the get-go. He really studied it from the ground level. He has become one of the most listened-to radio talk show hosts in America at night. His national show is from 6 to 9 p.m. and now has a Sunday night show on Fox. But his, his expertise is the Constitution. And what he's done there, this is, a, this is something that is crucial to succeeding in a mass media form like radio. You've got to be able to take complex things, complicated things, and boil them down to their essence to make them understandable. You cannot sit here and read magazine articles to people and then say, this is important, listen to me, listen to me. You've got to be able to explain it yourself. You have to be able to know it. Mark Levin is a constitutional scholar, in addition to being a radio broadcast professional. And while it might be said he's self-taught, he has, he has studied from the best and really taken the time to learn it. He didn't get into it to be famous. He didn't get into it to be known, didn't get into mass media like so many other people do. He got into it because he really believed the American people needed to know about things that he was passionate about and he wanted to tell them about it. One of those things is the Constitution. A Constitution can be a very esoteric, a very deep you let a bunch of lawyers and constitutional experts start talking about it, and they will bore you silly. You will become disinterested in it, and you'll think, it can't be that complicated. And it probably isn't, but this is what intellectuals do. What Mark has done is take a scholarly and genuinely intellectual interest and expertise and understanding of the Constitution and not only made it understandable to a mass audience, he's made it fascinating. He's made the governing document of our country fascinating to people who otherwise are like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They think the three branches, the three chambers are the House, the Senate, and the White House. Levin has one of the most educated and knowledgeable audiences in all of radio, and there's no better use of the medium than that, to teach, to inspire, to inform. So it is with a great respect and honor that I induct Mark Levin into the Radio Hall of Fame. There's a couple of them, but this is the big one, the Radio Hall of Fame. And I regret that I couldn't be there Saturday night when he actually went in. I was supposed to be doing this then. So I promised I would do it today since I couldn't be there. 
and that's it. It really is a, it's a special thing. And for people in radio, it is a tremendous honor. You know, lucky I don't have a ditto cam here. Lucky. He uh, played that for you so you could see what an extraordinarily humble man he really was. He didn't get up there or get behind the mic and say, Mark would be nothing without me. I should mark everything, this, that, and the other. Listen to how he spoke. Off the top of his head. Although he did tell me he took a few notes. And when I was with him in the past more than recent times, he was right, I was studying what he was doing. <laughs> he would laugh at it. He'd finish his radio show. He said, okay, Mark, let's go get something. And I said, well, let's talk first. I want to talk about some of the things you were doing. He said, okay. He gave you his time. He'd give you the shirt off his back. You need to understand, I wasn't anything special when I first got to know or meet or speak to Rush. He didn't need to talk to me or any, <coughs> excuse me, or any of these things. And I'm not the only one that's had this experience. There are pretenders out there that think they know him. They don't know him. They don't know him. You know him. His audience. My audience. You know him. He revealed himself to you. He would wear his emotions on his sleeve for you. He really would. And he will be... uh, buried tomorrow the body will be buried tomorrow but everything else will live on the soul, the spirit his profound impact on each and every one of us I told you this isn't the situation like with so many others in media and elsewhere where okay we did our two days on Rush now let's move on I don't do two days on Rush every day Rush is with us as we battle for our own liberty and the liberty of our children and our grandchildren. Because he showed us how to do it. And he was a very courageous man because they wanted to destroy him, but he wouldn't permit it. You wouldn't permit it. All right, I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. XM Satellite, Patrick in Florida. How are you? Yes, Patrick. Uh, good evening, Mark. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, I, like so many others, really, really uh, are going to miss Rush deeply. Uh, I view him in a similar way that I did Reagan. For somebody I never met in my life, I felt like it was somebody that I did know. Yep. And that offered so much to Americanism, and and I enjoyed every day listening to him for years and years, and I've enjoyed listening to you for years and years. And uh, and I, I never had the opportunity to speak with Rush. Uh, and, you know, it's always hard to get on the show. I'm deeply grateful I was able to get on today. But I wanted to tell you while I have the opportunity, thank you very, very much for the education, for the insight, for the common sense that you offer every day. And it means a great deal to a whole lot of people. And I, I, I just I have no other way to express my gratitude to, yeah. to you and to possibly to Rush. But thank you very much. Well, first of all, you're very, very kind. You're very, very kind, and I appreciate it. I want you to know that. appreciate what you had to say. And there you are in Panama City. I bet you're enjoying the weather right about now, aren't you? Well, we've been a lot, a lot luckier than the rest of the country. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, that things can always turn on a dime. Oh, uh, yeah. Of course, I'm sure you remember a couple of years ago we had a Cat 5 hurricane. But, uh, yeah, it's been very mild here. And uh, and we've pretty much got things rebuilt here, and I I feel very lucky, and I live in a very deeply red area yeah. of Florida, so I'm very very thankful for that. And and men like you, people like you, are partly responsible for that, and I appreciate it very. Well, much. you're very kind, Patrick. God bless you, my friend. Bill, Sierra Vista, Arizona, the great KNST country. How are you, Bill? I'm great, Mark. Thank you so much for taking my call. You bet. Um, you know, in the military, um, we have guys who sit behind the lines, way back behind the front lines, at headquarters, staging areas, safe zones, in a GP tent somewhere. And these guys are trained in a single-purpose task. They're, they go to tank counting school or fuel quantity counting <laughs> school. They're, they're basically clerical. They have no training in the battlefield tactics. They're not combat arms. Um, and we in the military always lovingly referred to these guys as REMFs, R-E-M-F. So I'll tell you the first two words, you can figure out the M-F, but we called them rear echelon M-Fs. And these guys didn't go anywhere near the front lines. They had no idea how to employ the assets that they counted or they had uh, um, access to or control of. And that is exactly what Fauci is. He's a remph. He's an REMF. He's like crap game Don Rickles in Kelly's Heroes. And that was a great somehow movie. Yeah. this guy has managed to promote himself up to this battlefield commander. And it just amazes me that he's out there promoting some kind of tactics and how to approach this thing. Isn't and it amazing, Bill, that he comes under absolutely no criticism on these television programs? Never. I agree. Never. They, they just hold him up because he was a foil against Trump. And now he's a mouthpiece for Biden. You can't have such a political hack in such an important position. And they, there he is. This is his second time around with Biden. He likes Biden. They failed when it came to SARS. And quite frankly, if it wasn't for Trump, 
There'd be many more dead, and over a long period of years, thanks to what he did with these vaccines. Not Fauci. All right, my friend. Bill, I appreciate that very much. You take care of yourself, buddy. Laudell, Richardson, Texas, on the Mark Levin app. How are you? No good, my man Emil. How you doing, big time man? I've looked forward to want to talk to you for a long time. And Thank you. you. You are a wise man beyond your years. I'm a young African American, so you taught me a lot about the Constitution. So, thank, thank you. you for for being my professor. Uh, but let's get to business, man. These Republicans, brother, uh, they are. It's like they don't know their opponents. Mark, the leadership is like four or five steps behind the Democrats. You saw it in the election. I mean, now you have Lindsey Graham now going down to the border. He's been in office since most is part of the Red Sea. Now he's going to the border. So I'm trying to figure out, man, what is going on with this leadership? Man, I agree with you, man. We need new blood, man. Give me some words. What you think? McConnell has to go. McConnell is the reason we don't have a majority in the Senate. McConnell's the reason we don't have a proactive agenda. McConnell's the reason we don't engage effectively and strategically against Biden and all that's going on. Today, he says he's going to vote for this Garland, who's a disaster. He led the attack on Trump. He wanted Trump criminally charged. Now he says he's going to use the National Republican Senatorial Committee to go into every state where all of us live, a guy from Kentucky, and determine and influence who our nominee is going to be for the United States Senate. I've had enough of 78-year-old Mitch McConnell. Kentucky can send him back to Washington all they want. But he's not my senator, and he's certainly not my leader. Now, Laudel, you got to call more often, man. <laughs> I will, but I listen to you every single day. Thank Matter you, buddy. Matter of fact, Mark, man, I'm thinking about running from office my dang self. Well, call again. Let's talk about it. Thank you all out there. God bless each and every one of you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'll see you tomorrow. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.